Wrestling Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. And Doug, man, how are things going? This is, uh, you know, we've been recording a little bit here and there, and uh, after this episode, we're going to take a little bit of a breather, but uh, how, how are things going in your neck of the woods? Yeah, you know, pretty good. Uh, just been enjoying the weather. Um, I, I made sure not to go anywhere near the fireworks on Saturday. I was like, the last thing I want to do is be stuck downtown. Um, but it was good to see the celebration of lights happening again in the city. Obviously, it brings a lot of business to a lot of you know local pubs and restaurants in that area. So that was kind of nice. But yeah, being stuck downtown, surrounded by 500,000, 400,000 people, not my jam. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> the fireworks. And I wasn't in town for it, mercifully, and I live in the West End. But I am glad it's back. It's always... Uh, it's it's a good draw down here, but uh, man, it's uh, like all the beer stores as well. They they just they all run out of booze. Uh, they, it's crazy going to the beer stores on Sunday, and everyone is depleted. It's like holy moly, everyone just goes full on gangbusters for for the fireworks. Yeah, like I said, it's it's great for local businesses, right? And you know, I remember in my younger days, I would go down there all the time, and you know, live it up so to speak but uh you know as you get older you're a little bit more like hesitant to be around a giant random crowd of strangers and you know you're also older right so that's the thing is like yeah i don't want to be around a bunch of you know early 20 kids you know all wasted and i'm just trying to have you know a couple of drinks and enjoy my night Speaking of, uh, I'm going to crack a, a beer here. I pulled it out of the fridge like a couple of minutes before we started recording, and it's already sweating from the heat. And uh, so, anyways, I need to keep cool, and this seems logical. Check out the uh, the stubby holder there. Oh, that's cool. Vancouver Draft. 2019, man. We yeah. we were there. You were there. What a, what a time yeah. that was. See see the pods get drafted in person. Yeah, uh, Pod Coles, and then day two, uh, Hoglander as well got fell to the canucks which was kind of nice and yeah what beer are you drinking pete uh leftover camping beer it's nothing nothing too special uh okay. just some just some sneaky weasel that's uh one of the only things they uh had that was affordable over on hornby island cool so you were you on hornby island camping then yeah, I went over on the weekend, Hornby, three nights uh, with some buddies. We do an annual camping trip, and man, it was awesome. We just had killer weather. We rented bikes one day, went to a winery, went to a cidery, just hung out on Tribune Bay a lot, played stupid games, had bonfires. You're still allowed bonfires. I'm sure now uh, everything's kind of changed, but we were allowed to have bonfires and uh, fires at the campsite, so that was quite nice. We haven't been able to do that, I think, the past two or three years we'd gone camping so we took advantage of that that was pretty sweet yeah hornby was was epic nice man yeah it would have been an amazing weekend to do it and were you guys close to any water get to go swimming or anything like that oh it's lots of swimming the campsite's not far from the beach lots of swimming lots of time in the ocean um yeah man it was it was uh just a great time. Definitely, if you haven't been out to Hornby, put it on your must-do list for BC places. Uh, it's a really special place, and there's more than just the beach there. It's just uh, it's just a cool island, super chill, really small. Um, and like I said, we rented bikes, hit some stuff around town, and, well, town, uh, the island, and it, it was killer. So, great weekend away. Good to be back. Uh, but, uh, yeah, man, 
Uh, he brought home a few leftover beers there. Tried to like pawn them off on some of my buddies. Like, nah, you got to take those. I'm like, dudes, you guys got cars. I gotta, I gotta lug back myself back onto the ferry as a foot passenger. Well, the third ferry of the day. But anyways, I got them here. So making the most of these uh, sneaky weasels here. Nice, a sneaky weasel for the podcast. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, so yeah, this is going to be our final episode for a little bit. We're rounding out season three tonight, and uh, we will be back with season four at an undisclosed date once something happens. Really, I mean, you, you kind of feel it. It's the dog days of summer now, um, and uh, yeah, we're going to wrap things up, take a little breather, uh, which is good because I got some more time off coming up here as well, and uh, we'll be back once something happens. Yeah, like obviously if, you know, a big trade comes down, I'm sure we'll, you know, throw throw out an emergency podcast. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I, we've been potting consistently for the last year. Uh, and it's nice to kind of take a little bit of a break come summertime, enjoy the weather, get outside, see some friends, maybe take a road trip or two. And I've got some plans as well in August, um, and then I'm actually I've got plans in September to go on a bit of a road trip down to the Oregon coast, which I'm excited about. Um, so you know I might be uh, potting from uh, from the Oregon coast because that'll be right around um, training camp as well. But uh, yeah, man, uh, I'm looking forward to taking a couple of weeks off. But I'm also looking forward to breaking news happening and having to do an emergency podcast as well if it does happen. And you made it sound like you just sit around by your phone waiting uh, for stuff to happen, researching the podcast, and the, that you don't get out much. Uh, but yeah, no, I hear you, man. The, uh, the the emergency ones are always fun, and uh, when when something happens, but feel like uh, maybe kind of slow uh, for a little while here. I'm I'm not sure I buy into the whole JT Miller getting traded uh, scenarios at the moment, but. Uh, we shall see. Um, so coming up this episode, we do have a little bit of Canucks talk. Uh, we're going to talk as well about, well, really just a whole bunch of kind of shitty things happening out there in hockey culture. Uh, we do have to talk about uh, the former Canuck, Jake Vertanen, what's happened there. We have to talk about Hockey Canada. Um, we'll talk about the Matt Kachuk trade as well. Um, and uh, then, yeah, there's some Canucks bits in bobs as well uh also you can follow us on twitter i'm at pete underscore gas and the podcast is at canucks speak you can give me a follow on twitter at doug Venn. and check out the playlist on spotify it's the canucks speakeasy outro playlist every week pete and i add a funky jam during the outro track of each episode and i'm on editing duties for this episode so i'll be adding to that playlist at the end of this episode Speaking of which, Pete, uh, do you want to tell uh, the listeners out there about the song you picked last week? Yeah, well, you know, my deep love of, of sampling and finding old tracks. And uh, this was one I kind of found by accident. It's not that hard now with the advent of Spotify as an Apple and everything. You can type in Juicy and Juicy Fruit comes up fairly quickly. But Juicy Fruit is obviously uh, the song that Biggie sampled for Juicy. But this is by... Uh, 80s band out of New York called Matume. They had a couple of other little hits here and there, but uh, Matume's biggest one was Juicy Fruit. Um, I just think it's a super sweet, slick summer tune. Like I love that track, even without the the Biggie influence on it. It's just a good standalone. Hey, yeah, I don't really know much about the band themselves, uh, except they got some pretty funky covers, uh, especially for you know kind of that typical 80s 
R&B era, but Juicy Fruit by Matume, uh, sampled by Biggie. Uh, great tune. And I uh, recommend looking that up on your favorite streaming devices or our awesome playlist. Yeah, and it's always cool like when you can find the original song that was sampled with a new modern song that was a big hit like Juicy by Biggie. Uh, there's been a few over the years that, you know, you kind of find, I think it was you, was it you that was telling me there was the Isaac Hayes was a uh, Portis head had sampled Isaac Hayes. And it was, I remember you told me and neither one of us knew. It was like, I didn't realize that was an Isaac Hayes sample. So it is always cool when you can actually find like those, the original sample of a very popular song. I'm like, Oh, this is where they got it from. And, you know, actually have a whole new appreciation and a discovery of that musician or that band. Yeah, the Isaac Hayes one, that was from uh, Glory Box, which is, uh, or it's, sorry, Glory Box Portishead Sampled, which of course is just an amazing song. I didn't real, realize that was an Isaac Hayes sample either. I bought an Isaac Hayes record at a used record bin just because it was there. I'm like, ah, oh, this cool cover, Isaac Hayes. And sure enough, I come across that when I'm just sitting there drinking a scotch, like, holy moly, it's Glory Box. Uh, so I love the accidental finds. Uh, I don't think Juicy fruit was an accidental find for me i think i had some leads on that but sometimes you're just sitting and listening to something like hey like uh, another fun one for me was i was uh i've watched twin peaks a couple times i quite like the twin peaks series although the ending is kind of meh but like the first season and a half of it is really good and there's bits in there that dj shadow samples on the introducing album uh like the bit where he says it's been happening again or it's happening again i'm like holy moly i know i know exactly what that is i didn't pick up on it the <laughs> other times but i was like uh like the surprise one so yeah juicy fruit by matume and uh, we've added that on to the playlist also one last thing i forgot to tell you doug i meant to tell you this i got a wrong number call the other day uh from a guy who was looking for uh peter douglas uh really like oh my god like that's like our uh, weird, like hetero love child or something like that. Uh, but it was like a uh, some doctor calling. I'm like, oh, sorry, dude. Like I'm Peter, but I'm not Peter Douglas. It was a Chilliwack number, so he's oh, wrong number. Uh, but That's anyways, I, thought, I thought I thought that was kind of funny. Maybe Peter Douglas is the one who's posting from the podcast account because uh, could yeah. be. You got to figure out that, that. That's a funny story for sure. Got to figure out who has the credentials. Eventually, we can get back into that account. Um, also, apologies for any background noise here. Uh, my windows are all open, and uh, it's uh, obviously it's like 9,000 degrees, so there may be more background noise. And just a quick shout-out, Buck Martinez is back calling the Jays game today. I, I put it on mute here, but that's on in the background too. But it's good to see Buck back. Yeah, uh, obviously, you know, he was diagnosed with cancer earlier in the year, and you know, left his job to get treatment and he's back broadcasting games. And I've always loved Buck. I remember Buck and Dan broadcasting Toronto's game, Toronto Blue Jay games back in like the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, when like Carlos Delgado and Sean Green were on the team. Uh, I think that was also the era when they had Roger Clemens for a couple of years and then they traded him to the Yankees for David Wells and Jose Cruz Jr. Um, so yeah, I have fond memories of those late 90s, early 2000s Blue Jays teams and Dan and Buck calling those games. And it's nice to see Buck back in the broadcast booth where he belongs. He'd be a good guest on this podcast because he starts at least half his sentences with yeah as well. So we'd, uh, we'd welcome <laughs> Buck on to here. 
All right, um, let's start with uh, the ugly stuff. There's a lot of ugly stuff out there in hockey right now, and we've always said we uh, would rather talk about it and do the best we can to explain it and have people either agree with us or disagree with us or educate us or whatever and create conversations um, as opposed to not talking about it. Um, so some uncomfortable stuff out there that needs to be talked. Let's start with uh, the latest news closer to home. Jake Furtanen found not guilty. Obviously, this has been all over Twitter today. It's been all over the news. Uh, it broke this morning. Um, do you have any kind of initial thoughts on this, Doug? Yeah, I mean, I guess the first thing that comes to mind for me is just how inadequate our justice system is and just how many issues there are within the justice system that seemingly protect abusers and protect, you know, people who are predators, you know, and have predatory behavior. Um, and I think it's no secret that Jake Vertanen, you know, has had and had predatory behavior towards women. There was, I forget who it was, but there was like a famous, I believe she was a famous Twitch streamer in Dallas. I don't know, don't know if you remember this, Pete, but uh, I guess Jake Vertanen had like mess like dm'd her when the, the canucks were on a road trip in dallas and she's a pretty famous and big uh twitch streamer and she had like blasted out like his name to the twitterverse and was like does anyone know who this is um and then you know there's a bit of a back and forth or whatever but you can tell that like this guy he's got a bit of a pattern when it comes to his behavior um and, like, some of the transcripts from the court filings were horrible, you know. When his lawyer was, you know, asking the victim, you know, why she didn't make up an excuse and just say no. It's just, it's like, what, just saying no isn't enough? She has to have an excuse, like she's got a yeast infection as well? It's like, what the fuck, dude? Like, this is the court of law, and you're allowed to have that kind of line of questioning, it just it, it, it's really sad and you know it, it makes other victims not want to come forward who are victims of sexual abuse or sexual assault um and i know we're going to get into this you know with the hockey canada stuff but it's that bro culture and it's you know a lot of these young boys are put on a pedestal at a very young age and then as they become teenagers and eventually ascend into quote-unquote manhood they're always put on this elite pedestal where they can have anything they want and it doesn't matter if a woman isn't interested or says no uh they just take it and it, it there needs to be a change and there needs to be a change not only you know obviously at the adult level but there actually needs to be a change you know at the at the ground level of like these kids coming up um, and I think a lot of it also, you know, it, it goes to coaching. Some of these coaches who are coaching these kids at a young age, you know, and the influence of like these hockey parents, you know, these like really over the top hockey fathers and hockey, you know, moms as well that, you know, do whatever they can to like prop up their child and to like make them feel like they're holier than thou. And it just, it, it turns these boys into, you know, 
predatory men. And, you know, we're seeing it all across hockey right now. And, you know, this is, like you said, Pete, you know, this is the last episode of the season for us. And, you know, we're having to talk about this, you know, about the state and, you know, the issue that the game we love is in. And there is a massive problem. And, and I, you know, I just... I think today's ruling, you know, there's a there's a number of reasons why I think a lot of people are upset, and I I see a lot of women who have been sexually abused or sexually assaulted just seeing why they don't come forward, why they don't tell their stories because of this, because they get ridiculed in the public eye, and when they do try to file charges against their abuser verdicts like this happen so i think there's a few things um as well to add on to that you know you mentioned the system uh the system has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he's guilty that's a really tough thing to do in these situations at the end of the day there's only two people on the planet who actually know what happens um you got to be brave as a victim going into that right like i mean you're going in with the cards stacked against you which again like you said that's uh that's a a, an issue with the justice system but it it, i i don't know anyone like i know people have been victims of of assaults and nobody wants to ever come forward or talk about it like nobody's doing this because they want to and I don't understand really why like a lot of people think, oh, they're doing it for money or they're doing it for attention. It's like, I, I, I don't think so because uh, you've never been in that situation. Also, not guilty doesn't mean not innocent. It just means that they can't prove that what ha- what the, the allegations said happened happened. Look, this is um, there's no winners in this situation. It's uh, it's a bad situation all around. Uh, you know, it's, I, I'm not surprised by this. So, and, and that it happened and, you know, you mentioned hockey culture in general and, and yeah, we'll, we'll talk, uh, we'll, this will lead us into our next part, but there is a real flaw with, with hockey culture. Like you said, with guys getting put on pedestals with, uh, guys thinking, you know, the world is their oyster and just kind of being that way and thinking that they're the shit from, from day one. Uh, the issues with a lot of this goes into goes further back into parenting and into coaching, and uh, we're going to have to start seeing changes in there, especially with what is happening with uh, the Hockey Canada scenario. Um, but you know what? I, I think it's really important just that the message for me is is believe victims because victims don't make this up. And maybe in extremely rare cases they do, but the overwhelming majority uh, of people I know are telling the truth and I believe them. And I think that's one of the important messages here. Um, this shouldn't end any conversations. This should continue conversations. Um, I hope Jake Vertanen doesn't play in the NHL again, regardless. I think there's enough, uh, stuff there to, to make it, well, to make it really hesitant for any team to want to bring him on really question. Why would you do this with the amount of information that's out there? Um, and, uh, I think, you know, this is a guy who had, he again he had everything there and he fucking blew it so um it's uh it's a shitty situation for the victim and that's the end of Jake Vertanen and uh hopefully we don't really have to talk about him too much more because uh that's been a painful roller coaster for the city but nothing compared to what the victim has gone through um and 
with that, the victim's in Hockey Canada as well. So Jake Furtanen is not the only one here that's uh, been, been doing bad shit, and he won't be the last one by any stretch. There's a good, uh, a good several handfuls of players now from two Hockey Canada teams, 2018 and 2003, that are having claims against them, again, of group sexual misconduct. And now you're talking about the juniors. You're now into young players, uh, you know, under 20s who still don't know anything and because you're, you're a teenager. But this, again, this for me goes to show that Hockey Canada needs to really implement stricter codes and stricter regulations, what it means to grow up and be a man and how it means to treat women and other people because there is obviously a huge problem with hockey culture and uh, with two cases 15 years apart, there's no signs it's getting any better and this is something that needs to be brought in at a younger age is more coaching and more mentoring and more just screening and, and being careful of what coaches are doing. And, you know, you can't put it all on the coaches. There's parenting as well. Parents need to be on board with this too. But I think Hockey Canada is an organization. They can't parent the kids, but they can certainly educate the kids. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it starts at the grassroots. It really does. And, you know, this behavior of men, you know, young men towards women, it's 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 gross. And there's no excuse for it, um, you know. And I know there was Jordan Tutu. Uh, an excerpt from his book was making its rounds online about, you know, he was talking about the World Juniors and, you know, what they were doing, and you know, it was it was gross. And you know, the fact that you know he published that saying that kind of stuff is just, and no one even really batted an eye about it until these allegations about 2003 came up. Um, and the other thing too, and you know, this go, and I know, like you said, Pete, like you can't put it all on the coaching, you can't put it all on the parents. You know, the individual does have to, you know, figure out what's right and what's wrong. But like, these were underage kids getting access to alcohol and having, you know, young women coming into either their hotel rooms or whatever little you know, housing they had set up during the World Juniors, there had to be Hockey Canada officials who saw these girls going in, were allowing them to drink or, you know, giving them access to alcohol. They need to be held accountable too. And, you know, I think Hockey Canada, you know, it needs to be completely, you know, gutted in my opinion. And, you know, there needs to be, filings against you know any because again there's like all this hush money that apparently you know hockey canada has had this little like fund and you know we only know about these two incidents the 2018 and the 2003 incidents but i'm sure there have been several other incidents at not just necessarily world junior championships but we'll stay on topic with that of sexual misconduct happening with other junior teams and junior players and how often has Hockey Canada swept it under the rug or, you know, come up with some sort of payment to the victim to keep quiet and sign an, N an NDA. It's just, it, it's ridiculous. And Hockey Canada is just as guilty for perpetuating that kind of behavior for all these decades, man. And it, it really needs to change. And the only way it's going to change is... They need to restructure the entire entity that is Hockey Canada and they need to fire people and then bring in 
a group of people and not just men bring in women and you know there needs to be some sort of not only just education but like you know you could be the greatest under 18 hockey player in the world but hey if you have issues as far as like your personal you know conduct and you know the way you you treat people like i think of the the was it Mayu the Stephen Mayu the kid that was drafted by Montreal last year who um, illegally filmed a girl performing oral sex on him uh, back in Sweden and then posted it online and most people thought he wouldn't get drafted and then and so this is the other thing and this goes back into this topic you know so a guy who does sexual you know who does a horrible thing to a young woman films her without her consent puts it out to his friends. What's the punishment? He still ends up being a first round pick. Like that's the other thing is like it, it it's perpetuating that behavior over and over and over again. When are we going to wake up? You know, when are the people that are in control of these hockey teams going to actually put character before winning? And I know winning, you know, is important in the sense that, you know, if you want to keep your job, you need to win, you need results. But like, I'm sorry, but you know, if you're trying to build hockey Canada and you're you're choosing these young, you know, junior players, you know, there are a lot of these players who come out of juniors that have red flags associated with them before they ever step foot in the NHL. Tony D'Angelo is a perfect example of that, you know, and there needs to be some kind of conduct rule in place for any player moving forward putting on the can the canada jersey well not just the canada jersey any jersey really but yes. it, it, it goes to grassroots and there needs to be more outside presence people who aren't hockey related dealing with this as well and educating but this needs to be starting at a grassroots level uh for for all players and and going continuing to go from there and again look we live in vancouver it's a metropolitan city it's a it's a liberal city it's more left-leaning for sure but a lot of canada is not like that as well it's very different right you know there is very kind of more traditional male female roles viewed in a lot of small towns and there's a lot of different kind of culture that permeates from a lot of this so we may forget that a lot of the times that, uh, you know, in, in Vancouver, which, of course, it does have a, a ton of its problems as well. But we may think that everyone in Canada thinks like us or has grown up like us in. And it's not the case. You know, if you're in a small mill town of a couple thousand people in, you know, northern Ontario or something, you're not going to think as someone like my, the same as someone like myself who grew up on in a, a liberal city in Vancouver Island. You know, it's 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 very different so i think this is something that's got to get it's got to seep into all the cracks of hockey canada culture and it has to start at a young age and it has to start now because uh, i mean we, we haven't even talked about this slush fund that they have for uh for hush money that like what the how is how is this happening how is an organization doing this getting away with it and thinking that's okay well, exactly. It, it doesn't make sense. And also to find out that like this money's coming from the federal government and the taxpayers, you know, like that is another thing that is just appalling. And that's what I mean. There needs to be a full audit of Hockey Canada, a full investigation. You know, I, I believe today there were members of Hockey Canada meeting in Ottawa in front of the federal government to discuss, you know, all of its financial i believe they called the cfo of hockey canada 
to Ottawa. So to me, that means they're going to probably do a proper financial audit and see, you know, where that money has gone and what what they've put that where, you know, where they've put that money. I mean, the other one too, and you know, I know we didn't really talk about this before uh, the episode, but you know. You're even seeing it with owners, and you know that's why I think it's a little different, you know, with the grassroots level and the junior level as opposed to the NHL. You know, you've got Daryl Cates, the owner of the Edmonton Oilers, has been, you know, brought up in a sexual assault allegation, or not necessarily an allegation, but you know, there's comments about him in another sexual assault allegation. He was brought up to having sexual relationship with an underage girl where he said, no, he was just giving her money for a movie project. It's like, why is a billionaire who owns, you know, a, a drug company and the Edmonton Oilers meeting with a random 17 year old girl and giving her $50,000 to fund a movie. It's like, what the fuck dude. And when you're the owners of national clubs are like that. You know, and that's the behavior that the owners of these clubs are, you know, obviously, you know, that it starts right at the top. It really does. You know, and I, I look at the the owner from the L.A. Clippers all those years ago uh, who was kicked out, Dave, uh, Donald Sterling. They kicked him out of the NBA. You know what I mean? There's an, another example of a disgusting owner who got to wreak havoc on, you know, women and players for years and years and years and finally they were able to get him out of the league you got dan snyder in the nfl the the washington commanders you know what i mean it's just like it's everywhere these issues are everywhere and you know it starts like you said pete at the grassroot level but even when you become a professional the guy who's signing your paycheck is a predator in a lot of these cases as well there's no immediate fix, that's for sure, um, but it has to start somewhere, and hopefully Hockey Canada starts to get it right, and you know, I hope that per- permeates into not just them, but into a lot of other aspects of the world and the country that we live in as well. But Here's a question for you, Pete. Do you think hockey, do you think Canada should be exempt from the World Juniors this year? Do you think they should not be allowed to participate? Do you mean exempt or banned? Banned, sorry. Like, not be able to participate. I think they should consider it, you know? I mean, it's it's something that... Well, I mean, and we mentioned the World Juniors, but there's also the Ivan Halenka. There's, uh, there's the World Championships. Like, there's not just the World Juniors. I mean, if you're talking about a ban... Uh, and it would have to only be for the male teams, um, though, because that wouldn't really wouldn't be fair to the female teams. But yeah, I, I think course. it's something. I, I, I think it's something that has to be considered. Um, yeah, it's I, and really, I am talking strictly about the male teams. It's it's up to the IIHF, but uh, I mean, you know, they've banned Russia before for for other things. But it, it'll be interesting to see. I hope they open an investigation, and you know, I wouldn't be sad if they did. You know, that's a lot of revenue loss for Canada and, and its sponsors and its programs, that's that's unfortunately where things seem to hit the most is is in the wallet. Yeah. Uh, I also wonder if there are players that will decline the opportunity to play for Canada this year at the World Juniors. Um, I mean, I doubt it, but I, I think it would be a really brave thing if one of these young men decided that they didn't want to participate for Canada this year, given all these horrific stories we're starting to hear come out of the woodwork. And again, both of the stories we heard were 
happening in Canada to young Canadian women. But who's to say that this kind of behavior didn't happen when the World Junior Tournament was held overseas? You know what I mean? In Europe. And we would never necessarily know who those women were. Like, again, obviously they could still come out, you know, and make a statement regarding something like that happening to them. But, you know, it's a lot easier to sweep it under the rug if you're in a foreign country. And clearly Hockey Canada has been sweeping things under the rug for a long, long time. It's going to be uh, interesting to see what happens. I don't think players will avoid the the World Juniors, but, I mean, Hockey Canada has already had trouble getting people to the World Championships, and that may happen even more because the World Championship roster generally doesn't have things to prove, right? They're, they're generally NHL players get the call first. I could see that one being tougher to fill. Um, also want to see what the NHLPA does, and uh, the NHL has to get on board too. Um, so... Let's, uh, you know, it's it's good to talk about this stuff. Uh, and if, if people out there as well, if anyone's listening and has thoughts of what we got right, what we got wrong, uh, please do get in touch with us. Uh, our DMs are always open at Canuck Speak. Just shoot us uh, a message and tell us what we got right, what we got wrong, and uh, or just have any comments because uh, it's important to keep the discussion going um and we're going to keep the discussion going as well switching to some more things that are on the ice as well because we we do have a couple of other things to talk about but we wanted to get the important stuff uh at the front of the episode here uh but we did see in hockey this week we saw one of the bigger trades that i i can remember like that was a massive trade between calgary and florida wasn't it yeah, I mean, the, the the bigger trades like of that level that come to mind were probably Dubois for Line. Um, obviously, you had the Taylor Hall for, uh, I forget the defenseman's name. Um, he's in Seattle now. Uh, and then Larson. obviously, yeah, Larson. And then you had uh, P.K. Subban for Shea Weber. But those, those are all one-for-one. Prob- one. Those I know, are one-for-one one deals. I know, but those are probably the bigger, the biggest trades that I can remember in recent history in the last maybe five, six years. Um, yeah, this was this was massive and kind of like late Friday night as well. And you know, look, there was obviously Calgary was not going to get caught holding the bag um, with Kachuk like they did with Goudreau, so they 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 reacted very quickly. Um, they they did that thing to his contract where they signed something or they came to an agreement uh, for arbitration purposes. Uh, so he couldn't be offer sheeted. There was something they did. I don't know the exact details or what it was exactly called, but that was a pretty shrewd move by them. And then technically this was the first sign in trade in NHL history. Technically Kachuk signed that deal with the Calgary flames who then traded him to the Florida Panthers for Jonathan Huberdeau, uh, Mackenzie Weger, a first-round pick, I believe, in 2025, and a prospect, Stanklovsky or Stan Stanlovsky or something like that. I don't know much about the prospect. And then I believe Calgary also sent a fourth-round pick back to Florida. Yeah, they did in in 2025 uh, as well. Uh, there's some conditions on it. Um, but yeah, it's. I mean, geez, who do you think won uh, the trade? I mean. Obviously, it depends if Calgary can re-sign Huberto, right? Like, that's that's kind of the big thing there. Um, I'm guessing one of the reasons, because I, I don't think anyone thought Huberto was available, especially after the season he just had. He was in serious heart trophy contention. Um, but 
I'm guessing Florida was worried that they wouldn't potentially be able to sign him to an extension at the end of you know next year and decided to make a move for a younger forward in Kachuk, you know, and he's a guy that I think gives them that kind of edge that they were missing in the playoffs this year. Uh, you know, he plays, you know, that kind of, he plays on the line and he's a guy that, you know, you love to have on your team, but you absolutely hate to play against. Um, but yeah, if, if Calgary can re-sign Huberto and re-sign Mackenzie Weger, I would have to give the W to Calgary. But if they can't, I think Florida definitely gets the victory then. You know, when I first heard it, I thought Calgary stole this trade. And then the more I thought about it, I'm giving the win on this one to Florida. Um, often with this, uh, it's the best player involved. And you can argue that Kachuk or Huberto, either one of them is the best player. For me, though, what it comes down to is that Kachuk is five years younger than Huberto. And, you know, we all this moaning and groaning about JT Miller. JT Miller is the same age as Jonathan Huberto. And uh, they're both 29-year-olds. And for me, that's a big thing. I think uh, I think Mackenzie Weger is a very good defenseman, very underrated. Uh, Calgary's got a, a good blue line that just got better. Their blue line and their back end uh, still looks pretty strong. However, they've obviously now lost two big scores. Getting Huberto in will, will certainly help with that. But what do you do? Weger's also 28, but he plays both sides. Uh, it's... Calgary got older with this trade, which isn't necessarily what you want to do when you're trading away a young piece. Yes, you got a first-round pick. That first-round pick's not until 2025, which means it could not have any impact until 27 or 28, which is crazy to think about right now. That's like five or six years away. Um, Florida, though, on their their end, that was the first first first-round pick that they had that they were able to trade, which is also kind of crazy. uh, They've already traded away their picks for 23 and 24. So um, I'm giving the nod to Florida. Originally, though, I was like, wow, Calgary did really well. But there's no guarantees that either of those players re-signs. However, if they haven't signed by the deadline, Calgary has to trip trade them and flip them out. And this is where things get tricky because Calgary will then could be in a similar situation that Vancouver's in with JT Miller, right? Like, let's say the Canucks go into the, the season with this roster, and let's say they're they're hovering around a third or a wild card, and they're right in the mix. And it's, let's say Calgary's doing the same. Both teams are going to have to make a decision. Like, what do you do? Like, let's say Huberto's point a game. Let's say Miller's point a game. Let's say Uyghur's, you know, playing really well. You're going to have to decide. Like, what do you do? Do you just like, all right, well, we're in a playoff spot. We can't trade these guys. And, and it does make it, it, it kind of tough. I mean, Calgary, I can't see them letting both those guys walk, especially after what, who they had to give up in the deal. Uh, but it makes it tough. Like, let's say Calgary's second in the division come uh, the trade deadline. Are you going to really trade Jonathan Huberto then for for a return and say, all right, the rebuild is on? Because you kind of have to then. If you're trading a guy like Huberto or Uyghur around the deadline, you're getting picks and prospects. And that signals then that Calgary's fully in, in rebuild mode because all of a sudden your best forward at the end of the day would be Elias Lindholm and your blue line and goaltending is getting older, and then Calgary goes into full-on blow-up mode. So I think Calgary's in a, a bit of a tough spot here. I'm, I know they're probably negotiating like crazy to see what Huberto and Uyghur want to do. But, man, Calgary, after this season, so, yeah, they have Huberto and and uh, Uyghur. They also have Milan Lucic, who is a UFA at the end of the season. I don't know if he'll 
really fetch you anything at the trade deadline. But the year after that, they have Michael Backlund, Elias Lindholm, Tyler Toffoli, uh, Chris Tanev, Nikita Zadorov, and Noah Hannafin, all as UFA. And that's uh, like that's really interesting to see. Calgary, I think, saw their window as now, and then all of a sudden it can unexpectedly blow up because uh, Matt Kachuk's out, and it could totally change everything they were doing, and they could go into full-on rebuild. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that Calgary does have in their corner after losing Goudreau and trading Kachuk is they've got a ton of cap space now. Um, so that gives them the flexibility and you know the money to try to re-sign Huberto to a long-term contract. There's lots of reports that Huberto wants to go to Montreal and play in Montreal. Uh, just like we're hearing that same thing about Pierre-Luc Dubois wanting to go to Montreal as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, you if you try to trade Huberto at the trade deadline, you know, any team like Montreal, let's say they're not going to be in a playoff race. Well, why would they trade assets to acquire a guy like Huberto when they could sign him for free come the offseason, right? So it's just like, it doesn't make sense for them to give up, you know, young assets to acquire Huberto when three months down the road, they can potentially sign him for free. I, I think the, I think today the best player is Huberto. Will he be the best player three years from now? No, I think that'll be Kachuk, but I think today he is the best player in the deal. So I think today Calgary is got, got the better deal. Like they got the better package. They get the first, they get Uyghur. Who's a great defenseman. Like you said, Calgary quietly has one of the like more solid defensive cores from one through six. You know, they, they have a really solid defense core now adding a guy like Uyghur. Um, but it all depends on whether or not they can re-sign them. And even though they made this trade for a guy like uh, Huberto, they still have not replaced Johnny Goudreau's offensive impact on the team. So I and the, they're a team that you know they play that Daryl Sutter style, and you know despite having two players over 100 points this past year, they are a defensive first team. And while their defense got better, they're, I think they're going to struggle to find their offense quite a bit this year. I really do. Huberto has been a point-of-game player the last four seasons, uh, and uh, Chuck hit it for the first time last year. Both topped 100 points last year, massive 115 for Huberto. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Big decisions over there. Meanwhile, Florida is really kind of retooled what they have they're over the cap right now as well uh which is going to be interesting to see what they do there they have a bit of space next year there's no doubt that calgary has space to sign their newest acquisitions it's just a question of whether they want to be there and whether they can get it done um doug we've talked a lot about not canuck stuff let's switch things over to the Canucks and uh, I just wanted to start it with uh, Patrick Alvine right now there's been a lot made out there about the Canucks offseason so far how a lot of people were expecting fireworks and we haven't really seen fireworks we've seen a couple of signings we haven't seen any trades since uh, the trade deadline what do you think of the Canucks offseason so far I mean I think I think this team and this roster is better than it was Last year, I think the additions, whether or not you think Mikhaev is overpaid, I think he helps this forward group. Uh, Kuzmenko, I mean, Kuzmenko, even if he is a giant bust, you you risk nothing. You know, he costs you less than a million dollars. So even if Kuzmenko absolutely bust this year, it's still worth the risk because you gave up nothing. You're not cap-strapped by doing this. So it's... 
it's high reward and pretty much no risk. It's a one-year deal as well. Uh, obviously, I think you know signing Curtis Lazard to your fourth line is a solid addition. Uh, Dakota Joshua is a guy that a lot of people are high, you know, highly praising. You know, whether whether or not he ends up in Abbotsford or you know he is a full timer with the Canucks, the Vancouver Canucks, we'll see. Uh, you know, did I think there'd be more involved to the Canucks offseason? Did I think that, you know, they'd be able to move some money out and free up some cap space like they said they were were going to do? Uh, did I think that a JT Miller trade would probably have happened by now? Yes and yes. But I also think, you know, being patient and, you know, waiting for the right deal to present itself is is smart. I, you know, making the deal for the sake of making a deal often never works out for the team's best you know best interest and I, I i think i'm willing to give elvine and rutherford the benefit of the doubt at the moment i was asking someone uh on twitter because they you know they were frustrated and i i understand the frustration they were frustrated you know with the lack of change you know dramatic change to this canuck group um and they were talking about JT Miller and how, you know, they think a JT Miller trade, you know, needs to happen and you're almost you're willing to take whatever you can get for him. And I asked, well, the reported trade offer from the Rangers back at the trade deadline, would you have accepted that in retrospect? Which was, and again, this was reported, whether or not you believe it, but it was Philip Heedle, uh, Lundqvist, Niels Lundqvist, and a first round pick. And the Canucks turned that down. And a lot of Canuck fans at the time were balking at that offer and saying no it has to be Braden Schneider or nothing but now a lot of people said yeah in in hindsight I would have taken that deal I'm like well there you go right so at the time the Canucks thought the Canuck management group thought that there was a better deal to be had and they were going to wait and hold out and unfortunately the market didn't end up being that way now that's not to say a deal still can't happen you know I still think teams like the Islanders the Devils I still think the Hurricanes are a team you know, I, I even put Columbus as a dark horse in there as well that, you know, are looking to, you know, add another center to their roster. Um, I think the domino that we're all waiting for first is Kadri. Kadri needs to sign. And once he's signed, I think that potentially could open up the floodgates for more Miller discussion and a potential Miller trade to happen. So my thoughts... Canucks right now are a better team than they were last year. I mean, they really haven't lost anyone since the trade deadline. Uh, you've added Mikheyev, you've added Kuzmenko, uh, and you got Lazar up front. Uh, forward group is as good as I think it's looked in a while. I, I think you can actually roll three scoring lines. Now, I did say that at the start of last year as well. Didn't quite happen. So a lot really kind of depends on what the Russians do. I mean, I don't mean just the two new guys. I also mean Pod Colson. Yeah, all three of those guys are going to be three of our top six wingers. So uh, that's going to really dictate a lot of, of how this team goes. But right now, the forward group is as good as I've seen it in a while. Uh, you really need Jason Dickinson to step up this year. The blue line is where everyone laments everything. And look, I get it. But let's kind of, you know, let's look at the blue line. It, it certainly it needs help. And I'm not saying it doesn't. But I think as well we kind of sometimes lose a, a little bit of track of what we have, and especially with uh, Alvin and Rutherford's history of kind of taking no-name blue lines and doing something with them. Quinn Hughes is a stud. We all know that. 
I think everyone agrees Ekman Larson was a good defenseman last year. Yes, contract, but we're not talking about the contract right now. We're just talking about the defenseman. Same with Tyler Myers. He was uh, yeah, he takes a lot of heat in this market, but I, I really thought Tyler Myers the last two seasons has actually been quite good for the team. Again, the contracts are different stories. Uh, Travis Dermott looked good uh, since he's come over. Uh, you know, Luke Shen, Kyle Burrows, both big bodies who uh, can play on the right side and have been admirable again are they you know you don't necessarily want them as a, a second pairing right D but they're great for the third pairing right D and then you also have uh, Jack Rathbone who's in the mix this year uh, as well so at blue line I, I would like to see some tinkering with it for sure but you're gonna have to send a body out to make that happen and uh, and, and I'm not quite sure how the team is going to do that I think this very well could be the team they take into training camp goaltending we know the goaltending's in good hands. Demko and Martin, I think that's going to be an, an excellent tandem from what we've seen from both of them last year. But you talk about change, and this doesn't get talked enough about, is the Abbotsford Canucks have had a, a complete overhaul. The Abbotsford Canucks are, are a very different team. Like, you're looking at this roster, and, you know, all of a sudden Linus Carlson uh, is over here this year. You know, I mentioned Dakota Joshua, uh, who's probably going to be – playing down there. Arshdeep Baines, you know, top scorer in the WHL is over there. Niels Amon and Philip Johansson, a couple of, of free agent signings that they brought in. Wyatt Kalnick and Christian Willan and on the on the back end, a couple of new guys there as well. And Colin Delia in uh, the goalie mix too. Uh, Abbotsford got a lot younger this year. Instead of being a very vet-heavy team, they got a lot younger. And I think Abbotsford and what's going on there. Uh, that's going to be interesting to see as well. Like, I mean, let's say a guy like Will Lockwood doesn't make the team. You can call him up. Let's say same with uh, a guy like Jack Rathbone. You know, we could call him up. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, down there. But that's it. That's where a lot of change has been. And a lot of the times these changes start down there. So, I, I you know, I, I, I expected more fireworks. Um, I do think the team is better. Um, and again, it's something that doesn't get talked about enough is a full season of Boudreaux and also, you know, just having a little bit more change on the back end. If we have a full season of Travis Dermott and let's say that uh, Luke, uh, Luke, uh, Jack Rathbone has uh, a bit of a, a season as well. I mean, hey, that does improve the blue line, like little steps. So for me, I still I'd like to see more, um, but I'm OK with this team going into into the season. Yeah, I, I think we both agree that the team is better. Like, they are a better team heading into next year than they were last year. Um, but you hit the nail on the head, right? It, it's the defense that is an issue. And to have no change to the defensive core, outside of potentially Jack Rathbone becoming an everyday NHLer, I, I get why fans are concerned. I'm concerned about it as well, right? And, you know, I we just talked about the whole situation, you know, with Calgary and Kachuk, and I don't think Canuck fans want to be staring down that exact same situation with JT Miller heading into the trade deadline next year, especially if they're in contention for a playoff spot, because then they're going to be a lot less likely to try and trade him at the deadline if they're fighting for a playoff spot, and then there's that risk of losing him for nothing. So I think those are kind of the reasons why a lot of fans are a little bit up in arms with the lack of movement and the lack of change. Um, but we still have, you know, a month and a third, you know, pretty much two months until, you know, opening night. Um, so I'm not too worried about it. And, you know, a trade will happen when it happens, if it happens. Uh, the other interesting one, too, from a Canucks perspective is John Kleinberg. He's another guy that hasn't signed yet. He was, you know, a big right shot defenseman, offensive player, you know, played for Dallas for, 
his whole career. Um, he still hasn't signed yet. And there was, there's been rumblings and speculation that, you know, the Canucks have been trying to trade Tyler Myers. And then with that freed up cap money, go out and sign John Klingberg. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, that, if that was to become to fruition? Uh, as usual, it, it depends on the deal. Look, John Klingberg is uh, is a good offensive defenseman. Uh, we know that. Um, he's apparently he's really good friends with OEL as well. And Vancouver's obviously trying to replicate Team Sweden right now, uh, more so than ever. <laughs> so he would be a good fit. It's a different player than Tyler Myers. Um, I would rather the Canucks would be going after, obviously, someone younger and maybe someone more defensive-minded. But look, I'm not going to argue if the Canucks get Klingberg on a deal that's less than Myers and you're able to flip Myers for some even a couple of picks or something as, as more of a salary dump move that's a that's a positive value situation for the team if you let's say Tyler Myers fetches you a third round pick or something or maybe like a third and a sixth or something you know he's worth more than that uh in terms of what he brings on the ice but you're now you have two extra draft picks in your pocket and you can use that money and let's say instead of paying Myers six let's just say for argument's sake you can get Klingberg at five and a half uh and then all of a sudden, you've got half a million cap space and a couple extra picks. Yeah, I would do it. Um, of course, there's a lot of ifs in there. But it would be interesting to see. Uh, I don't know if it's someone the Canucks should actively be chasing. But I, I tell you, I mean, uh, it. You know, Patrick Alvin knows who Klingberg is. Uh, OEL knows who he is. The Sedins have played with him before internationally as well. I mean... The, the Swedes, the Swedes love it here. I mean, let's, let's not kid ourselves. Our GM is Swedish. We have the Sedins involved in the or organization. They're Swedish. I mean, you got Petey, you got Hoglander up with the, the big club up front. You got Ekman Larsson on, on D and then you got even down in the farm, there's Amon, there's Carlson. Like there's, there's a ton of guys. There's Johansson. It's, you got Michael Samuelson working with the development team now yeah. and Thomas Gradine, who's been a long time European scout for the it's, club. There is no shortage of Swedish presence here. And uh, if that's part of what Alvin wants to do, attract Swedish players, hey, by all means. Um, look, it'd be interesting. He, I think it would certainly divide Canucks Nation unless Myers was moved out and uh, Klingberg came in at a lower cap hit. I think that's the only way to really make it work. But then at the end of the day, have you really solved your right blue line issue? You're basically just replacing Myers with Klingberg. And then you have to ask, like, how much better are you? You're better, though, uh, from an organizational standpoint, if you have a bit more cap space and maybe a couple extra draft picks. I don't think Klingberg signs for less than what Myers is making. That's the other big issue. I think he, I think you're paying him more, and so they doesn't give you any more fle cap flexibility. If anything, it it handcuffs you even more in terms of your cap flexibility. Uh, Klingberg's trying to cash in, right? He's a free agent. I think he can easily probably get seven, seven and a half, maybe not seven and a half, but I think he can easily get seven million. Um, so I don't think you would be able to get him for less than what Myers is getting paid. I think Myers is six million. Uh, I, I think it would be a bargain to get Klingberg at six. I think he'd be closer to seven, in my opinion. Look, I, I just think that Klingberg is twenty nine. Um, his production is kind of eh, it's fallen off a little bit. He was tied for twenty third in defenseman scoring last year. Uh, it's I, I think that there there's still certainly he's a good player, but. I don't know if you can be commanding that much as a 29-year-old who uh, hasn't hit the 50-point mark since the 2017-18 season. So um, 
that's too much. If he's getting north of what Myers is getting, you, you don't do it. If that's the plan, you trade out Myers and bring in Klingberg, I, I don't think it makes uh, too much sense, unless it's maybe negligible more and on a shorter deal. Because, you know, there's all this hand-wringing. OJT Miller's too old, 29. Yes, I know it's a different contract situation, but that's still above the core of this team and the age group that uh, that we're supposedly working with here. Yeah, I saw someone as well just tweet something out. Uh, it was like the top 10 youngest teams in the NHL, and I think the Canucks were like number six as far as like youngest team in the NHL. So the core is still really young here. Um, I, I agree. Like if you're having to pay Klingberg more than what you're paying in Myers, and is he a better overall defenseman than Myers? Yeah, probably. Um, he's certainly a, a more productive offensive defenseman than Tyler Myers is, and he's probably equal if not better defensively than Tyler Myers but I just I I don't see the point right like he's he like you said he's 29 you're probably gonna have to sign him to you know a three four year deal and I think it's north of six I really do I, I, I it doesn't make sense to me unless you're getting like a young prospect back that can play in the NHL uh in a Tyler Myers trade uh it doesn't make a lot of sense to me See what happens there. Maybe that'll be our uh, emergency podcast. Um, Brandon Sutter today, uh, article came out uh, with Ben Kuzma of the province about uh, his long haul symptoms with COVID. Uh, he's, of course, unsigned. He was signed by the Canucks last year, didn't play because of COVID, and uh, he's now a free agent, likely won't get a deal this year considering he can't even work out. Um said some things in the interview uh, as well. What stood out for you? I mean, yeah. So it's like, I know a lot of people are criticizing the article in the interview, and I understand that. I completely understand that. But I think there's like two aspects to take from the article. One is the shit he's still going through, you know, with his body physically. And, you know, people can say, well, you know, that's what happens when you decide to take ivermectin for a long period of time. I mean, it is noted that, you know, he has received two vaccines. He did say he had gotten two vaccines, but he also said that he wasn't feeling good. Like his body was still not at a hundred percent when he got the vaccines and he didn't feel good after getting the vaccines. And he thinks, and I, this is where it starts to get a little hairy that the vaccines may have caused him to continually feel bad uh, with these these long hauler symptoms of COVID, um, yeah. So like, part of me is you know I feel bad for him having to go through that kind of stuff that he's going through physically, and I'm sure it's taken its toll on him mentally and his family. Um, but then part of me, with some of the things he's claiming and he's saying, it's like you know these these internet researchers, these YouTube researchers. You know they really need to go and seek proper medical advice and proper medical attention when they have issues such as this yeah look i mean i think the first the most important thing from this article for myself was look brandon sutter is still feeling effects of covid that's what the main part of this article should be about now it's totally derailed his professional and personal life uh that's for me the the most important thing secondary to that yeah, he has he has some questionable ideas out there about uh, taking things to to help with with COVID. He says it works for him. And look, as someone who's dealt with various pains and things over lifetime, if something works, 
you don't necessarily have to know why it works. And it could even just be all in your head. It could be a giant placebo. But you're going to want to use... But does it work? But hey, Pete, does it work? Because I, he's still having long hauler symptoms. So he, is it working? Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, that's certainly an argument. Like, is it? Does it give him short term relief? Or I don't know. But and that's that's the thing, right? Like, I I don't like hearing all that. He is vaccinated for sure. It, it seems like a questionable thing to even mention to a reporter because, of course, uh, Canucks fans are going to get all over him. But I, I think the most important thing here, regardless, is that he's still feeling the effects but uh of course i'd much rather he went through more reputable sources to 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 get his information and his medication uh that's for sure but look i i also understand that uh, even if it is all in his head if he says uh, that makes him feel better like hey you know well what can he do right like everyone's different i i'm not justifying it or anything but uh i i just want to see the guy get better yeah and i think that's the main takeaway from the article for me is that despite maybe some of his misguided thoughts about treatment you just want to see the guy get better you want to see him get back to a normal life and to be able to you know make a living working whether that's playing hockey or you know maybe he gets into coaching I don't know obviously he's got a family he needs to support and you know, you, you you hate to see somebody struggle with their livelihood like he's struggling currently. Have you uh, caught a glimpse of these? Well, uh, they've been leaked uh, pictures of this Canucks uh, reverse retro jersey with the Johnny Canuck. Have you seen those out there? I have. I mean, look, I don't love them. I do like the color. I do like like that kind of like blue and the I green. Do too. I like I like the color and I generally do like the Johnny Canuck logo. But for whatever reason, it just it I don't know. Like, I think when I first saw them, I was like, uh, like I, they literally look like like a knockoff jersey someone was selling on Facebook Marketplace. Um, but there's been multiple people saying, no, these are legit. These are legit. And the more I kind of like looked at them, they've grown on me a bit. Um, I just yeah, I don't know. I just I don't love the Johnny Canuck logo with that color. But I think that they could have done something really cool. Like, I think if they would have done almost like the Millionaire's V that just said Vancouver, I saw someone mock one up with the same color palette, but it I saw had that V. Looks I really great. like that. Yeah, that looked really sharp. The Johnny Canuck one, I don't know why. I used to love that logo and I still enjoy it. But I, yeah, I'm not as big on that logo as I was maybe 10 years ago. Yeah, you know, I would. Uh, I think there's a lot of different ways it can go. I think as well, we've seen the Johnny Canuck as shoulder patches and stuff for a while. Like, I love the idea of doing like the Canucks inaugural jersey, the rink jersey, but doing it in like the black, red, and yellow colors. Uh, I think something like that would be really sick. Um, I think that's also kind of what what fans are wanting is like we've done a lot of these blue and green stuffs, but uh, everyone's really big on the the old black skate jerseys, and if, uh, bringing that sort of color scheme makes it pop. A lot more. I think the Johnny Canuck on there, while it is a different blue and green, it still doesn't look like that that different. You know, I like when teams like like L.A. for example goes and does like a really retro like purple and yellow or something on on theirs. I, I like that. Like this is an opportunity to do something totally different and outside the box. And while some of them are pretty ugly, like the Ducks one from last year, at least at least you're doing something different. So I would have liked to have seen them go with a, like a black based uh, retro jersey. Um, or something that actually has a little more historical tie to the club. You know, you mentioned the Millionaires one there. Like, again, the Millionaires and Johnny Canuck, they're not really a affiliate. Like, I mean, we've obviously embraced them because of Vancouver, but they're not really 
part of the Canucks. Like, you know, the, the V logo, the, the, the skate logo, the rink logo, and the Orca, those are all part of the Canucks. And uh, I would have liked to really see them do something more with, like, the like I said, the black color scheme, but with maybe the, um, the, the rink. But, hey, if they're doing this every year, there's going to be more opportunities. Um, it's also one of those things we're talking about, like, leaked photos uh, circulating on social media. Let's see how they actually look in person. Let's see how they look on the ice. Uh, so sometimes those are the same and they look great. Sometimes it's one or the other. Um, but I, I'm uh, I'm willing to wait and uh, see how it looks. Because I'm with you. I, I, I really like the Johnny Canuck, but there's something about it. It's like we're embracing parts of Canucks history that aren't really a part of their NHL history. Well, and obviously the Abbotsford Canucks have the Johnny Canuck logo. So, you know, maybe they're trying to make it more part of the Canucks history moving forward. But... Yeah, again, I do like the color palette of the like I like that shade of blue and that shade of green, at least from those photos. But I don't know for whatever reason the the Johnny Canuck logo just doesn't work on that jersey for me. I don't know. Yeah, and I think also having uh, Abbotsford uh, there doing uh, doing the, that jersey, it's like well we've already seen this. Like uh, Canucks have been even for a team that's gone through numerous jersey changes, they seem to play this whole process very safe. So. Um, we'll, we'll see, see how they look in person, but I just kind of wanted to get your first thoughts. Uh, a couple of final thoughts before we get into the free pour, we have some, uh, world junior evaluation camps going on out there. No surprise, Sweden, a bunch of Canucks have been invited to camp. You have Jonathan Myrenberg and Lucas Forzel who came out of the 2021 draft. Myrenberg, a fifth round defenseman. Lucas Forzel was in the seventh round, uh, as well as this year's Elias Pettersson. PD 2.0. Of course, Jonathan LeCaramacchi will also be there. He's not at the camp, but he will be on the team. Uh, and then also for Team USA, a guy that I've been kind of watching a bit and has been kind of moving up my Canucks Dark Horse rankings I tweeted about today. Jacob Truscott is at Team USA. Uh, he was being in the US NDP program and uh, is being now with Michigan for a couple of years. He's also, like, funnily enough, he's Luke Hughes uh, playing a defensive partner as well over there. So there's, you know, more Canucks connections there. Of course, Michigan Canucks have had a lot of players come out of Michigan, Will Lockwood being another one. Uh, just a couple notes there that, you know, we, we lament our prospect pool. And sure, this is, you know, we're talking about like third, fifth, and seventh round picks for the most part. Uh, Truscott was also a fifth. But, hey, there's a couple of. You know, it, it, hopefully some of these guys play because it, it'd be nice to have a few more bodies at the World Juniors this year, obviously. Yeah, I mean, anytime there are Canuck prospects playing in the junior tournament, you know, I don't care if they're playing for Canada, Russia, Sweden, I'm always interested in that team. Um, Meyenberg's interesting. I know Chris Faber, when he was reporting at the development camp a couple weeks ago, Meyenberg was one of the players that really stood out to him and he was almost very most impressed with. So that's great to see. He's a right shot defenseman as well. Uh, Elias Pettersson 2.0. Uh, he's a guy that probably will make that uh, world junior team for Sweden, uh, which is great. And then yeah, Jacob Trescott. Like he's he's an interesting prospect. I believe I believe he's a right shot defenseman as well. I could be wrong about that. Um, but you know, playing for Michigan, uh, obviously Owen Power is you know, going to the NHL full time. So that opens up, you know, more minutes and more deployment for a guy like Truscott in Michigan. And so I'm interested to see how he develops this year in the NCAA. And, you know, LeCaramacchi as well, obviously, you know, I expect him to light it up at the tournament this year. And uh, I'm sure, you know, most Canuck fans will be uh, cheering for Team Sweden this year. 
Lefty for uh, for Truscott. Again, we seem to have a, a lot of lefty out there. Um, but still, uh, he's going to be playing top four minutes at uh, one of the better hockey programs in the country. So uh, he's a dark horse for me to watch. And you mentioned Myronberg as well uh, and Petey. Hey, all those guys are defensemen as well. Uh, Lucas Forzel and uh, Jonathan Karamaki are both wingers. But hey, a couple of defensemen in the pipeline. It'll be interesting to see what happens with those guys. Um, but hopefully some of them make the teams as well. Um, that's uh, that's all we can ask for. Yeah. Uh, I, again, you know, I always like the tournament. It's going to be weird watching it in August. Um, you know, we're obviously so used to watching it around Christmas. And then I guess we're going to get it again around Christmas and Boxing Day, right? Which which will be interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I'm interested to see how Lekaramaki looks playing against other top junior players. Um, and I'm interested to see any other Canuck players potentially playing at the World Juniors, like uh, Mayenberg or Elias Pettersson, uh, 2.0. Repeaty, repeaty. Yeah, we get two junior, two junior tournaments over, uh, I guess, about a five month period. So uh, that's going to be pretty interesting. Doug, let's take this into the free pour. All right, it's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor segment. And I wanted to talk about kind of a more serious matter uh, during my little segment here. Uh, you know, Pete and I, you know, we've been talking about quite a few serious things on the podcast uh, this episode. And I just wanted to talk about your health and, you know, men's health, essentially, you know, being, you know, close to 40 years old and. I don't go to the doctor nearly enough as I should. Uh, I have friends who don't go see a doctor nearly enough as they should. And, you know, as we get older, and as I've gotten older, you know, there's certain health issues that have started to come up. And I just, I think this stigma, I don't even know if stigma is the right word, but, you know, this idea of, you know, a man just not going to see a doctor, uh, I think it needs to stop. You know, I have some friends that are, you know, going through some things right now. Um, You know, myself, I need to go and, you know, just get a proper checkup and, you know, look at my own personal health and, you know, try to be healthier. Um, You know, as we get older, uh, you know, life becomes more and more fragile. So, yeah, I just wanted to kind of talk about the stigma of, you know, men going and seeing a doctor when they are in discomfort, whether that's back issues or stomach issues, and to just go and see a doctor, you know, it's, yeah, life short. Yeah, well said. Um, for me, uh, I'm not being serious at all today uh, in mind, so uh, we got some nice juxtaposition here. Um, I wanted to talk about Vancouver's beloved barge. I was biking home from work yesterday, and I saw the crane, and I saw the pylons and everything else. The barge is slowly getting dismantled. Uh, when I was at Folk Fest a couple weeks ago, uh, there was an uh, artist there who'd done like magnets and shirts and stuff with the barge. Really nicely done. I was like, man, I gotta buy a barge magnet because I gotta remember this. This is gonna be like, uh, as you know, Doug, my my fridge is covered with like travel magnets and stuff because it's always a kitchen party and uh, people are always there and they're great talking points. And I know years from now, people are gonna look at that and be like, oh yeah, the barge, but. 
Uh, it's it's coming down. It's falling apart. But I was I was joking at work today. I'm like, wouldn't it be funny if we had like uh, like a barge fest here in Vancouver? You know, you could do all sorts of different things like with that. You bring the McBarge back out from Burrard Inlet. You have this barge here. You can do all sorts of other stuff. You have Fat Tug. It's like the official beer sponsor. You can have like a whiskey bar where everything's on the rocks. Uh, this is what I, I do with my spare time while I'm making beer at work. I think about barge fest and what we could do. But yeah, it's time for the barge to go. I just kind of thought that was funny. I mean, it's been nine months now and all of a sudden now uh, I'm going to be slowly watching it come to pieces uh, as I bike to and from work over the next little while. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 119, just about in the books. And so is season three of this podcast. Uh, I'm still sometimes amazed that we've made it this far, Doug. 119 episodes. Uh, it's always a lot of fun. It's great chatting with you. So, you know, thanks for uh, sticking along on this ride. And uh, it's uh, season three going into the books. Season four come back bigger and badder or maybe just doing the same old stuff uh you know who knows we always have all these grand ideas and we try stuff out throughout the year and then it often comes back to just its simplest form at the end yeah i mean you know it's that old adage if it ain't broke don't fix it um but no i mean it's always fun doing the podcast and you know getting to talk canucks and Often I find, you know, especially on this episode, we're talking about, you know, more uncomfortable things that are going on in society and, and in hockey and in sports. Uh, but it's good because it's, it's almost like an outlet and a release for us to do that as well. And I thought you, you know, surmised it extremely well on Twitter today, you know, when it's like there's just some things you can't tweet about to convey, you know, your thoughts and feelings about the Jake Furtanen verdict today. And that's why we have this platform for to talk about it. You know, if people want to listen and agree or disagree with us, well, hey, man, that's their prerogative. But, you know, I, I enjoy doing it. Like you said, three years, it's, it's going to be nice to take some time off. And, you know, uh, hopefully uh, we'll have to do an emergency podcast between now and September. Well, I'm on Thursday. I'm off to Europe uh, until the 9th, which is the day that the World Juniors start, funnily enough. Um, but I won't be bringing a mic, so we'll see how that goes uh, if it happens. I'm only doing carry-on, and I gotta get wedding gear and running gear into this carry-on, so it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be tough to see. But hey, if I gotta call in and sound like I'm uh, recording from a tin can in uh, Amsterdam or something, hey, by all means, uh, I'm willing to do it. Um, well, I I do remember I do remember a couple of our very first uh, episodes where we had. Uh, a guest on we would literally like hold the speaker yeah. we, they would call in through the speaker the bluetooth speaker we would hold the speaker up against the mic um my how we've come so far and you know who kind of gave us uh kind of the birth of that idea that we had was our buddy chris faber back when he was doing the canucks conversation in nanaimo uh we we're like hey man like how do you do guests and i think he said oh i take the the phone and I like put it in like a like a, a toilet paper tube or something to amplify it. And I'm like, oh okay, so we kind of did something similar uh, to, to that on our end. But yeah, so I like, geez, our first 20 episodes, I can't listen to them. Our audio is shit, and uh, it is, <laughs> it's taken uh, it took a little while, and, and and here we are though. But yeah, thanks to everyone out there for listening and interacting with us. Uh, and man, I, like I said, I'm excited for next year. Whatever happens happens but i like the looks of this team it can certainly use improvements i have more faith in uh, this team and this management group though than i've had in a while uh i'm looking forward to what next year brings yeah i mean we said it earlier 
you know, on paper, this is a much better team than they were last year. And, you know, I, I, I do think they could be fighting for a playoff spot, especially when teams like Calgary, in my mind, definitely have taken a step back. Um, and, you know, a team like Vegas as well, I, I feel like they've taken a pretty massive step back, uh, having to give up a player uh, like Pacioretty for pretty much nothing just so they can get under the cap. Uh, so yeah, uh, I'm always, always looking forward to the NHL season coming up. Yeah, like I said, I'm a half glass full kind of fan. Um, you can still interact with us throughout the off season on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore gas. Also check out our podcast on Spotify, our podcast playlist, I should say on Spotify. You can also check out our podcast on Spotify. Uh, but you've already probably found that if uh, you're listening to this. Anyways, the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist, all the jams going on there, some good summer vibes. Uh, check that out. Be sure to give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Canucks Speak. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.